Oftentimes, I'll go to my parents' house for dinner and stay a little while to visit. And of course, there's plenty of topics of conversation. And somewhere along the line, I'll notice that it's starting to get late enough for me to leave. Um, And, you know, as most of us probably do in social situations, whenever it's time to start leaving, you kind of prepare yourself and you kind of start gearing the conversation to move into that direction. You start to kind of give little cues. Maybe your body language changes. Maybe you kind of get up from your seat and you kind of start getting your things together. Or, um, you know, maybe you you kind of just say something like, all right, well, it was great. You you thank them for dinner. Thank you for having me. You know, you say all these little clues that kind of indicate that it's time to prepare to start leaving gracefully. So usually whenever I start to give even the slightest clue, my mom suddenly has a question. (laughs) She suddenly has a a new thing that we need to talk about. And then that question leads to a tangent and a few more questions and maybe a story, and more things, and, and you can just tell that she's stalling. That as soon as I leave, suddenly there's all these new thoughts that come to her head, and she, she's just stalling so that I'll stay longer. So we tease her, and we laugh, because it's kind of just become an expected part of the experience now. But I think it's a natural tendency for all of us to kind of lose a sense of time whenever with, we are with those that we love particularly um, to want and desire to stay with those that we love. We want time to stand still. We want to stay longer and to let this last forever. That's a natural thing for us to do, uh, especially with people that we want to stay close with. And that's absolutely true in the way that God desires to be with us. God wants to stay with us, and he wants us to stay with him. And the whole story of Scripture, there's this back and forth of the people of God being close to him and running away from him, and coming back to him and turning away from him again. And over and over again, we we see this pattern. But in today's gospel, we see that God desires to stay with us. God desires to stay with us in the Holy Eucharist especially. And Jesus appears to his disciples on the road to Emmaus in order to show them that even after he died and rose from the dead, he desires to remain with us forever. So there's so much going on in today's story in the gospel. There's, I mean, we could unpack it all over the place. There's so many different things to point out. But just to stay on track of this theme of staying with us, I want to point out that as soon as Jesus approaches these two disciples who are traveling away from Jerusalem to Emmaus, as soon as he approaches them, St. Luke notes that their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So this is kind of interesting, you know, like uh, these are, uh, are, we can assume that they're disciples, that they would have known what Jesus looked like. And although Jesus is in his risen body, they're still, you know, it's still the same body and they should have recognized him, but their eyes were prevented for some reason. So we have to beg the question, why? Well, there's probably a few different possibilities, but, but one possibility is because of their lack of faith. 
which we can see in the response that Cleopas, one of the disciples, gives to Jesus whenever he asks him, what are you talking about? And Cleopas says, well, we are talking about Jesus of Nazareth, which is already important. Notice he didn't say Jesus, the Lord. He didn't say Jesus, the son of God. He didn't say Jesus, son of man, son of David. He said Jesus of Nazareth, which is a true statement, but it's, it's not the full expression of his identity. He says, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth and what had happened. And we really hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. He's a prophet, mighty in word and deed. So again, he, he knows some pieces of Jesus' identity, but he's not giving the fullest expression of faith in who Jesus really is. Although it's true that Jesus was a prophet, Jesus was so much more than a prophet. And if he was a true disciple with full expression of faith, he would not have said Jesus is a prophet mighty indeed. That's what the followers of the Islamic religion might say. That's what non-Christians might say. That's what secular people might say. Jesus was a prophet mighty indeed in word. No, but instead... Jesus' fullest identity is Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, Jesus is God. And the disciple should have known this, but he didn't say that. You can already see the lack of faith in these two disciples, that their faith was shaken by the crucifixion and the empty tomb. The empty tomb should have been a sign that he rose. And they even say that there are women that claim that he has risen, but whenever we went to investigate, we did not see him. And so they had a choice to make. They could have believed that Jesus is risen and alive or not. And context clues in this story seems to suggest that they weren't believing yet. They were at a lack of faith. They said, we were hoping that he would redeem Israel, kind of like with this sense of discouragement. We really thought that Jesus was special, that he was somebody important here, but now we're just walking away. We're walking back home to Emmaus, disappointed. And so now we can see perhaps why Jesus veiled his identity, why their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. There seems to be a lack of faith in these disciples. So Jesus then says, how slow of heart you are to believe all that the prophets had spoken. And then Jesus gives them the first Bible study after the resurrection. And Jesus starts to interpret all the scriptures to them from the Old Testament and how all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. And he interprets this, and you can imagine how awesome that would have been. And the disciples start to notice that their hearts are burning as he interprets the scriptures to them. They want more. They're, they're desiring more. This is so good. This man somehow knows the scriptures so well, and we want more. And so whenever Jesus gives the indication that he's going to keep on going, whenever they get to their destination, Jesus is going to just keep on walking. They make that expression, stay with us. You know, it's getting late. The night's drawing near. Stay with us. They notice that their hearts are burning. They don't want this man to leave them. They're not quite too sure what's happening, but they do know that they want more. And you can see that they're taking a step forward in faith. That they haven't yet recognized Jesus, but their hearts are opening just a bit more. They are taking a step forward to welcome Jesus into their heart without even realizing it. And so the Lord continues in that direction. He stays with them. 
And then it says that while he was at table, he took the bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. Those four verbs, take, bless, break, and give. We've seen those words before. Those are the same four verbs that Jesus used at the Last Supper whenever he instituted the Eucharist. He took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them and said, do this in memory of me. But even then, we had already seen those words before at the multiplication of the loaves and fishes to feed the 5,000. When Jesus makes that public miracle, the context of a meal in a community where he provided all the loaves and the fishes from uh, just a few, and, and he had an overabundance afterwards, If you go back to that story in John chapter 6, it says he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave to them. These verbs are on purpose. St. Luke is showing us in his gospel. He's making that connection to the Eucharist. And it was at that moment, after he took, blessed, broke, and gave them the bread, that they recognized Jesus. And then Jesus' physical uh, human body in appearance, disappears. He vanishes. But his true presence remains. No longer in the humanity of what they had seen before them, this, this man at the, at the edge of their table, but now in the Eucharist, in the bread that was just taken, blessed, broke, and given to them. Jesus remains with us in the Eucharist, and it was there their eyes were open. And there's some more words, some more verbs, some more, uh, another phrase that we've seen before. Their eyes were opened. That happens only one other time in Scripture, at the very beginning of Genesis, which tends to happen a lot, you might recall in recent homilies. The beginning of Genesis, after Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, their eyes were opened. So in the old creation, the couple's eyes were opened after eating the forbidden fruit. In the new creation, these disciples' eyes were opened in the breaking of the bread. But in the old creation, when their eyes were opened, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, when their eyes were opened, they saw guilt and shame. Their eyes were opened to the reality of sin in the world. But in the new creation, when these disciples' eyes were opened in the presence of the Eucharistic bread, their eyes were opened to the risen Lord. Their eyes were opened to Jesus Christ, risen and fully and truly present among them. God makes all things new. And he does so on purpose, very intentionally, through the context of a meal, of a Eucharistic meal. God chooses to remain with us that he didn't just bless the first century Jews with his presence. We could potentially just get real bitter about that. Man, I wish I was born 2,000 years ago. I could have seen Jesus. That would have been really great to walk among him, to know him, to talk to him. But Jesus knows that in all of salvation history, there are millions of people outside of just those few that saw him during those 33 years of his short life. And God chose to remain with us, to remain with us truly, fully, substantially here. 
but through the context of the Eucharist. And every time we receive the Eucharist, God remains with us in a way that's recognizable. He remains with us in a way that we can recognize him, perhaps in other ways that we didn't. But I guess I want us to consider today, after you receive the Eucharist, when you return back to your pew, how long does it take for you to move on? How long do you stay with him? You see, because God stays with us forever, and he's never away from us. He's always desiring to remain with us, but too often we don't remain with him. And even after we receive the Eucharist, very often we just simply go back to our seat, and our mind and our heart has already moved on to the next thing. We're already thinking about the day ahead. We're already thinking about the grocery list or the to-do list or whatever it is that's on our mind, and we sometimes neglect to stay with the Lord who so wants to stay with us. And even after we go home, we get into our car and we go home and we, and we just completely forget that we even went to Mass today. We just continue on with our week as if nothing has really changed, as if the risen Lord really is not with us anymore. Like those two disciples walking back to Emmaus, just continuing on with our old way of life, kind of disappointed and downcast because the risen Lord we thought was going to be with us, but we are disappointed. How many of us neglect to stay with the Lord? I also want to bring up something um, for our parish, for our community. It's been on my heart for quite some time now, but I was just waiting for the right time to bring it up, and I think this is a good opportunity. I think we have a good problem here. I think we have a good problem at St. Leo. Something beautiful is happening, but because of this, it's, there's a little bit of um, housekeeping that we might have to address. The good problem is this, um, that many of us, we, over the past year or so, we have been growing in our faith and desiring to spend more time together. I think this is beautiful. It makes me excited as a pastor to see our people want to spend more time together. After Mass is over, they want to linger. Many, many want to linger and visit and uh, spend more time together and get to know each other. And this is a sign of a healthy community. It's also a proper response to receiving the Eucharist because the Eucharist is God coming to us. And as we receive God, we should then look outward so that we can share that love that we've received. So it should spark us to look outward and to spend time with the rest of the community. So this is a proper Eucharistic response, and I'm very excited about that. But another Eucharistic response is to desire to linger in prayer a little bit longer. And for some people, they are impelled after they receive the Eucharist, and even after the final blessing after Mass, they're impelled to just stay a little bit longer in quiet reflection, to sit with the Lord in quiet prayer. For some people, this might be the only time in their entire week that they even have that opportunity. And so for them, there's sometimes a struggle whenever others are inside the church visiting very casually, and sometimes very noisily. And that's nothing against either of these two camps. That's nothing to say that one is better than the other, but it is to say that we are a family, and we have to figure out how to do all of this together. So what, my, what I'm proposing for us at St. Leo is this. I want you guys to visit, but I'm asking that if you're going to visit with uh, fellow parishioners after Mass, I'm just asking that you take those conversations outside. 
And this is a really beautiful time of year, so it's, it's good, you know, it's great weather. Uh, but I also recognize that sometimes the weather is not great. So uh, we've, we've arranged to logistically have the hall is going to be unlocked after every Mass for those that want to linger and visit a little while and stay. Uh, make yourself at home. The hall's beautiful now. It's been a total renovation. Um, you can help yourself and make yourself at home and stay as long as you want. But that's a beautiful thing to like continue with community. But that way, those that desire to linger a little bit in quiet prayer can do so in this church without being distracted by some of the noise. Now, this is going to be really important, though. It's going to take us a little time to really get to that culture because not everybody's here this weekend. And this is the first time I've ever brought this up, publicly at least. And it's not really been part of our history or our culture here at St. Leo, maybe at other parishes, but not here. And so because of that, I think that we're going to be a little imperfect for a while, and we might be tempted to get really angry or judgmental with those that might start talking in church. And I'm just asking that all of us be a little patient and merciful as we start to communicate um, this, this new directive in this parish. That what I don't want is that we become the cold parish that's mean. The parish that gives the angry eyes and just like scolds people for saying the slightest little word inside of the church. I don't want to become that place. I want to be gentle with each other and just, if you notice people are, are talking, they probably didn't even realize uh, how loud they were being. And so, you know, just maybe either to patiently wait for them to finish, just hopefully they get the hint when you're still in the pews, or maybe you can just ask them politely and say, hey, look, trying to pray, would y'all mind stepping outside? But anyway, these are just a, a few of the housekeeping things I want to bring up because I believe that we're there as a parish now. Some people want to linger and pray. Others want to linger and visit. and Both are good. But ultimately today, we want to recognize Jesus is our Eucharistic Lord. He stays with us. He is the risen Jesus, the same one in the Gospels. And we have to choose to stay with him. It won't happen by accident. But if we choose to stay with him, perhaps our hearts would be burning. Just like those two disciples as Jesus appeared to them. Amen. Thank you.